Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, good morning, Dublin Bible Church. How are y'all doing? Good deal. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's give these guys in the band another, another round of applause. They did an awesome, awesome job. I don't know what y'all were doing in eighth grade, but I wasn't slinging sticks on the drum like that. I, I, I wasn't even in ninth grade playing the guitar like these guys were. Um, uh, I, I, got, a, got an awesome opportunity to talk, to talk to them, and I tell you what, the coolest thing about them isn't even the fact that, they, uh, that they're talented musicians. They are, but they love Jesus with all their hearts. It doesn't matter what instrument you put in their hand. It's accordion? You, got, you want me to play that? Okay. They'll play it. Just as long as they can play it for Jesus. It doesn't matter. I had to take the kazoo out of, uh, out of Roger's hand earlier. I said, uh, we're not, I'm not ready for that, man. You, you're going to have to back off the kazoo. He loves it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Raj. But, uh, but I'm excited to be, uh, to be up here and be uh, sharing, sharing the word with you guys again today. And I'd, I'd been burdened because I'm like, God, what, what do our people need to hear? What do, we need to, what, do, what do we need to hear from you that we can put into practice? And, and you, uh, you listen to the, to the radio, and if you watch television today, there's no shortage of people who are telling us what our problems are, are there? Uh, in, in fact, um, it's, that time of, it's that time of year, and every four years, another politician is going to be telling us what our problems are, because we don't know, Right? <laughs> And they're going to be telling us, well, this is, this is the problem with, you know, the population at large. The good news is, is I'm uniquely capable to handle it. Okay? And then you've got this politician saying, no, he, he's, he's kind of wrong. Um, this is the list of the problems that we have. And these are our greatest needs. And, and, and I'm uniquely capable to, of, to handle that. And you hear that from local government all the way up to all the way up to Washington. And, uh, and after, after a while, you just kind of, if you're like me, you say, okay. <laughs> this, this is kind of starting to become white noise because now all of y'all are telling me what my problems are. And so, and so we talk about it amongst ourselves. And some of us who are evangelicals and some of us who are believers will say, well, no, our problem is this and our problem is that. And our needs are this and our needs are that. And that's cool because then you start to, See people's hearts and people's passions. Uh, some of the young ladies here, um, uh, actually one of the young ladies in particular, Jessica Rowe, uh, this is really cool. And uh, Jessica is this one right here, wave to everybody. And now she's a bright shade of red. Um, <coughs> but Jessica, um, God, God placed it on her heart that she should go to, uh, to Africa for nearly a year, wasn't it? Nine months. She's 22, y'all. She raised the money. She, uh, she lived with um, a missionary family over there, and she, she ministered. <clears throat> I don't know what you're doing when you're 22, but I wasn't doing that. I was in the church, and, and God hadn't laid that on me. And, and so some people, even in the church, what they'll say, well, missions is our greatest need. And I would say, yeah, it's a huge need. It's a huge need that the church needs to be, needs to be addressing. And some people would say, well, you know, theology, you know, we need to, we need to, to have more, more knowledge. And, and I would say, you know, that, 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 is, that is a huge need. And some people would say, well, apologetics, the ability to defend our faith, is one of the greatest needs. And I would say, you know, those are, those are valid points. 
All those are. But as a people of God, I would say that our greatest need is that we need to know who God is. And that's going to be up on the screen, that we need to know God. And this is, this is not like a, a head knowledge. This isn't, okay, this is something that I've read in a book. This is an experiential knowledge. J.I. Packer, in, in his book, Knowing God, he said, you can know of God, and you can know about God. That's a whole lot different than knowing God. C.S. Lewis would have put it like this. He said, I can, I can sit down and I can study over maps and I can pour over maps and I can look at them and I can say, wow, I bet that's, a, I bet that's an incredible place to go right there. And I can say, look at that, look at that place. And I can say, or, or, or oh, look at this map over here. I, I bet that's an incredible place. He said, but until I get in a boat and I take the trip, I don't know how amazing it is. And what he said was that theology is like the map for us. And when we live that out and when we follow theology and when we, when we listen to the great heroes of the faith and when we experience that for ourselves, that is when we truly know God. Because see, here's the, here's the thing. I could, uh, and, I, and I told the students this, and I told them this right before lunch, so it kind of made an impact. But if I brought a steak up here and I let you smell it and I let you hear it like sizzling on the plate, You can know something about the steak, but until you cut it up and until you eat it, you don't know, do you? You don't know just how God is until you put that steak in your mouth because I tell you what, that's, that's, how, that's one of the ways that I know how good God is. When I put a nice piece of steak into my mouth and I chew it up and I say, yes, God, this is good. Amen, Lord. Thank you. M- maybe that's just me. My love language is food. I don't know if that's one of them. Is that one of them? Can I get a love language check? Is that? Maybe, maybe they missed one. But, but here's the thing. I'm putting this up here and I'm saying we need to know God. And we're in the buckle of the Bible belt, aren't we? We know all about God. We got libraries and libraries of books. We know all about them. How can I say that we need to know God? The Apostle Paul, when he, when he was talking about that, he seemed to think that he needed to know God a little bit more too. One of the things that he says in Romans is he, he's, he's caught up in this moment. And, and Paul, when you're reading some of his writings, it's like, it's like his heart sometimes gets ahead of his head. And he's, he just gets so excited. He's like, I don't even know how to describe this, but I'm just going to have to put some pen to paper. And I don't, the words aren't, aren't going to come together, so I'm just going to put as many words as I can into it and hope that some of it sticks. <laughs> and, and maybe it will and maybe it won't, but the way that he put it was, Oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And this is the Apostle Paul. He might have known Jesus a little bit better than you and me. He might have been a little bit farther along in his walk than, than I'll ever be. And he was saying, I haven't even scratched the surface. There's so much more that I need to know. And I would say that we need to know God. And, and that's what this weekend has been about. You see our T-shirts, and they say, meet the man. And I was, I was begging God uh, th- this, this past year, God, what do you want us to learn? What do, you, what do we need? And it kept on coming back. You need, you need an encounter with my son. You need, y'all need to meet him in, in a real and in, in a tangible and in a, in, in a, in a life-changing way. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You saw people in Scripture, 
And whenever they had an encounter with God, they didn't leave the same, did they? He's too big. We cannot meet with God and stay the same. And, and for me, for years, I would come into church, and I would sing the songs, and I would hear, uh, I'd hear the preacher preach, and I would walk on out. And it was just business as usual. And I hate that because for years, I missed out. Because every day I had a chance to meet with God, and every day I passed over it. And every day, God was saying, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. Boy, you don't even know. He was looking forward to changing my life in a real and in a huge way, and I passed right over it. And the thing is, what I came to terms with the fact was, is that if I show up Sunday after Sunday, and if I have my quiet time, and if I do all this stuff, but if I come to God, and I have this knowledge about him, and knowledge of him, but not knowing him personally. And, and if I come to him and I'm not changed, I didn't really meet with him, did I? Because see, something amazing happens when the finite brushes up against the infinite. Something amazing happens when, when mortality bumps into the immortal. And when the temporary bumps into the eternal that is amazing. And that's why Paul was having these, when you read in Romans and, and he's talking about this stuff and, and he's just, like I said, he, it's just like a word jumble and he's throwing this stuff out there. It's because he's like, I, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> he's, he's beyond description. I don't know how to put it into words because he's passed them all. I, I need new ones. I need better ones. So until those do better words come along, I'm just going to have to make do with what I've got. That's the kind of life-changing meeting with God that we wanted. And this morning we're going to talk about a man who had that type of life-changing meeting with God. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah has this incredible vision of the Almighty God. And, and some amazing things happen during it, and some amazing things happen because of it. And picking up in verse 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And later on in Revelation, we hear that the, that the, the living creatures, they decide, that's a pretty good song. We like that. Can we sing along? And because you hear them singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. When you were asleep this morning, and when you were waking up, there was worship going on in heaven. And, and the whole of heaven was alive with the sound of voices saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. When we go to bed tonight, 
heaven is going to be rocking with that anthem. And it will never end. And you know why? Because he's never going to stop being holy, holy, holy. These angels, they can't help from doing it. They can't keep it back. It's a fire in their belly. You ever experienced that? You ever experienced, God, if I don't get this out, I'm going to bust wide open. That was what we wanted for our students this weekend. And that is what I think a lot of us got. And then he goes on to say, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. That's an awesome worship service right there. (laughs) And so Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me is Bible language for, I'm about to die. Because he says, because I've seen God himself. I'm sinful. Y'all, I'm filthy. And I'm, I've seen God himself, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me. Woe to me. Because in, in the back of Isaiah's mind and in the back of, uh, of, of every Jewish uh, person's mind, when, when at this time was the fact that you know, if I look on the face of God, that's it. I'm done. And so when this happened, Isaiah said, I'm, I'm done for. I'm finished. And, and, and check this out. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There are, uh, there are a few hunters in here, right? <laughs> I say a few hunters in here like a joke because there are more than just a few hunters in here. Now, now, correct me on this. This will be my first. Uh, this will be my first season hunting, and like I'm not going to be getting a lot of sleep on a hunting day, am I? No, you're waking up before the before the sun does. Okay. And, and so uh, I've had some early mornings before where I've had to, you know, Hope's been asleep, and so I don't want to, I don't want to wake her up, so I'm not going to turn the light on. But so I just kind of go fumbling around in the, in the closet, and I'm trying to find something. And so I come out, and I've got like a Christmas sweater on, and i got like jogging pants, and I'm like, that ain't going to work. So I go back in. And I get the right shirt, and then, then I, I get a different pair of pants, and I'm like, yeah, I thought those were a little bit too tight. <laughs> and then I look, and my socks are two different colors. Because when I go into the light, I see that things just aren't, just aren't okay. Now, see, when I'm in the darkness, it's fine because I can't see anything. But the closer I get to the light, the more it's like, Oh, this shirt was okay, but hey, look, I enjoyed some barbecue, apparently, and I used my shirt as my napkin. Good job, Green. Smooth move there. Isaiah has this kind of experience on a spiritual level. 
And he says, it's not, that I'm, it's not that I'm clean on the outside. It's not that I'm unclean on the outside. It's that the whole of my person is unclean. I have unclean lips. I've, I've said things. I've done things that are wrong. I live among a people of unclean lips. We've said things and we've done things wrong. God, you're bringing judgment against us. And I don't know what to do. And now I'm face to face with you. And I don't know how to handle that. And the truth is, is that true knowledge of God is marked by true repentance. The more that we know God, the more that we will say, God, I'm unclean. God, I'm un- how, can you, how can you stand to be around me? How can you stomach to be this close to me? I'm, I'm unclean. Picking up in verse 6. Isaiah says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth. And he said, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Hallelujah. Do you remember what it was like when God touched your heart and he said, Come alive? Do you remember what it was like the moment that God said, Death no longer reigns here. Come forward, child. Son, daughter, come forward. Do you remember the moment that it welled up in you and your spirit for the first time drew in the breath of God? See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He can't, he can't take it. He can't. He's had this, this moment with God where he's seen him and he said, God, I'm undone. I'm, I'm done for. I'm, I'm, I'm going to perish now. I've seen the one, the true, the living God, and I'm a man of unclean lips. And then there's this atonement that happens. This angel brings a coal from the altar. And he touches his lips, and he says, Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then he hears the voice of God. Who will go? Who, who should I send? And I, and, I get this, and I get this mental image of all of heaven being in this worship service and these, these angels circling his throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this happens here with Isaiah. And he's just this insignificant little speck of a thing. And, and this angel comes and touches his lips and makes him, makes him clean. And the voice of God rings out and says, who are, who are we going to send? And without a moment's hesitation, he breaks in, Here am I! Send me! Send me! And he has a moment with God there that lasts him the rest of his 
life. And if you go on to read what God tells him to tell the people of Israel, it ain't exactly good news. It ain't good news for the home team, right? But Isaiah says, I don't really get to pick what you're telling me to say, do I? You're the one who has atoned for my sin. You're the one who's taken it away. I was the unclean one. You're the Lord Almighty. The angels, when they speak, the threshold shook. What happened when God speaks? When you see somebody coming face to face with an angel in the Bible, they fall face down. What happens when we come face to face with God? And then because of this moment when, he, when his sin is taken away, because like we said, true knowledge of God brings about repentance. What happens after that moment? Well, as we see that true repentance is marked by a generous grace toward others. God says, who, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, I will, right here, front and center. God says, the message ain't going to be all that fun. It doesn't matter. What, what do you want me to do? It's not going to be a popular job. I don't care. You, you, want, you want me to sweep the parking lot? I'll sweep the parking lot. You want me to, you want me to uh, do anything? I'll do anything. I got a weed eater. Do you want me to cut the grass? I got hands. I can, I can change some babies. I'll do anything you ask me to. I'll do everything you ask me to. Because if I was that dirty and you saved me, I'll do anything. Because Isaiah understood something. There is an entire group of people that haven't had this experience. Remember what he said. I'm a man of unclean lips and I also come from a people of unclean lips. They weren't with him. He was alone there. And he sees, God, God, no, 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 no. Death and destruction is still coming for them. They're still a people of unclean lips. They haven't seen this. They need to hear about this. And true repentance is marked by a generous grace toward others. God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll do whatever it is. When was the last time that we were so burdened and so broken for our families and our co-workers and our friends that we had to say, God, what I've experienced with you, I can't leave it. I can't just bottle it up inside. I've got to do something with it. When was the last time that we, that we reminded ourselves of the muck and the filth and the mire that God brought us out from? And because of that, we said, God, I can't, I can't keep this to myself. It's too good. They need that. They need to experience that. Because, God, you are the Lord Almighty. And you've atoned for my sin. But their sin hasn't been atoned for. When was the last time that we were so broken that we couldn't go to bed without praying for somebody that we know is an unbeliever? Our prayer is that, and this is going to be up on the screen, 
That God, you would change my view of you so that I can change my view of myself. Isaiah knew, thought he knew what kind of a man that he was until he saw God. It was knowledge of God that changed his view of himself. You can read psychology books. You can read theology books. You can read all kinds of ology books. Pick one. But until you have a meeting with God, you won't change what you think about yourself. Because until you stand up against that perfect standard of measure, you can convince yourself, I'm okay. But until you have that moment where you say, I'm undone, woe to me, because I see how amazing you are, and now I see how filthy I am. Until you have that moment, your mind ain't going to change. So he says, God, change my view of you so that I can change my view of myself. And then, out of that, change my view of myself so that I can change my view of the world. God, I, I see what you've done for me. I remember what you've done for me. I, I, I remember your sacrifice. I remember the, the, the debt that you paid. So now I've got to do something with this. I can't keep it bottled up. We went to, uh, we went to Israel um, years and years ago, and I'll probably keep on talking about this trip until I get to go back. So, if you've heard this story, just kind of play along, please. <laughs> but, uh, but so, we, um, we had some uh, life-changing experiences over there. Most of them at the point of a gun as we're trying to climb over uh, a, a, guy's, a guy's fence, and he didn't know that we were going to be doing it. And we didn't know that he didn't know, so everybody was having a good time. And I don't really speak Hebrew. So, I see this guy coming, and, you know, what's that? And he's shaking in his hand, and... A friend of mine that we're climbing the fence at the same time, he says, I don't know, but he just cocked it. <laughs> That'll change your life right there. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the guys, uh, he held up two bottles of water. And he said, I bottled these on the same day. And, and one of them was, was crystal clear. And the other one was pretty murky. It wasn't like absolutely filthy, but it was... It was kind of murky, and he said, now here's the thing. You don't want to drink either one of these, because both of them may, will make you sick. He said, this one is from the Jordan River, the one that was kind of murky and a little cloudy. He said, when I bottled it, it was absolutely clear. He said, but also when I bottled it, there were these little microorganisms that, you know, live in there. Big word of the day. You're welcome. Uh, but so there, there are these little critters in there that, uh, that live and breathe and, you know, all, do all their stuff. He said, and... And this water is kind of like their habitat. They really don't need too much else. He said, so for a couple of years, they've been in this bottle of water, and they've just kind of been growing and growing and growing, and this is what you get. He said, it looks kind of dingy and nasty, he said, but it's actually its own little ecosystem. Believe it or not, this is sort of healthy. And I said, it don't look like it. But, it, you know. And then he said, and this, he said, is a bottle, bottled it on the same day, but it's from the Dead Sea. He said, you could take a drop of this water, and under a microscope, you would not even see microscopic life. Nothing can live in it. 
hence Dead Sea. They did that for a reason. <laughs> but, uh, but, but he said, nothing can live in it. He said, it's not because there aren't enough nutrients. He said, there's too much. He said, the Dead Sea is the only body of water that doesn't have an outlet. Everything else can flow out of something. Everything else can flow into something. The Dead Sea just kind of absorbs. It just kind of takes in. Oh, oh, this is from over here? Okay, that's good. Oh, this is from over here? Okay, that's good. Oh, this is from over here? That's great. And it just takes in and it just takes in and it takes in. And, and it's thick. There's so many nutrients in it, it almost feels like baby oil. And he said, this one, while it looks nasty and dingy, he said, at least it's healthy. It can support life. This one, it can't. He said, now, isn't that a paradox? This one has less nutrients in it. This one has less minerals, less deposits. It has less. This one has more, 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 and yet it's sterile. He said, if you think about that, that can become your Christian life, where if all these things are pouring into you, and you're feeding, and you're feeding, and you're feeding on these things, and that's a good book. Let me read that. That's a good book. Let me do that. But you're not pouring into something else. Pretty soon, all that knowledge doesn't matter because your faith is going to be sterile. And that was one of those things that has stuck with me for years since. Church, that cannot be us. We cannot be the type of church that receives and studies and takes in and goes to Bible studies and we do this and we do that. And then when it comes time to get up to the plate and put some of that into action, we're like, you know, I'm going to do something else. James says, you show me your faith without actions and I'll show you my faith by my actions. He says, faith without works is dead. I looked that word up in the Greek. You know what it means? Dead. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good about that sort of thing. They got that one dead on. Faith without works is dead. An encounter with Jesus that doesn't lead to action isn't a real encounter with Jesus. It can't be. Because God is too big to leave us unchanged. And that's why earlier in the, in the message I was talking about, you know, what our problems are. What are our biggest needs? And people are talking about how they're going to address this issue and that. You know what? If we actually believe that God is who he says he was, then, then health care, then social programs that, that reach out to the lost and the needy, the government wouldn't be able to fund them because the church would be. And the church would be doing it in such a way that we would follow up with people and we would say, well, this is something that you obviously need, so let me help you. Because we would be taking care of the orphans and the widows and we wouldn't be forgetting about them. We wouldn't leave them out. We wouldn't cast them out. And it would also be that people who don't need it wouldn't receive it. Because, like the Bible says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And everything would be done with generous amounts of grace because we would remember 
that we weren't that great when God found us either. So how are we going to expect somebody else to be doing well when they don't know him? The government wouldn't be able to step in because you can put up something that the government does right here and something that the church does right here, and you'd have a line wrapped around this church of people who would be right here. And the government couldn't get anybody in line because the church will always do better because we have the power of Christ because it's something that is welling up in us that I can't not do this. It's not like I can't show up and not do that. God, you won't let me. I've seen who you are, and I've seen how these people are, and God, they need to see you. So what's going to be my end? What's going to be the way that I talk to them? Do I hand them a piece of bread? Awesome. Here's a piece of bread. Can I give you living bread? Here's some water. Can I give you the water that ain't going to run dry? Here's, Here's something that you need. Can I give you something that you need and you don't even know it? Here's, here's clothing. Here's monetary support. Can I introduce you to a friend of mine? He actually owns a couple of heads of cattle. Actually, all of them on a thousand hills. Oh, yeah. He wants to save you, too. When we have that meeting with Jesus, it'll change our lives like that. It has to. Because God is too big for us to be unchanged when we meet with him. Is that the truth? Do you believe it? Then here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep living it out. And we're going to keep impacting our communities with that. And we're going to keep loving people with the love of Christ. Because we say, God, we've seen you for who you are. We've just understood this tiny little glimpse of you. And because of that, now we understand how filthy we are. And you've atoned for our sin. And God, you've changed us. So help us now to change everybody else. And help us to introduce them to you so that they can see that. And they can see their great need. And they can see the need of people in their families that we'll never meet. But those people can go back and introduce you to their families and their coworkers. And all of a sudden, this outbreak starts to happen. This outbreak of hope. This outbreak of godliness and righteousness. Politicians are going to try to tell you, this is what your problem is. This is your greatest need. Don't you be deceived. Your greatest need is that you need to know the God of the Bible who can change the world. He's done it. He wants to do it again. And he wants to use you to do it. And by God's grace, he is. And by God's grace, he is going to continue to do it right here.